Hello, it's Mariah. And Danny. And this is our podcast, Behind Behavior, where we take a look at the science behind behavior and how we actually use it in real life. A little disclaimer. So nothing we say on this podcast in any way reflects the opinions of our employers or the BACB. All opinions we talk about are going to be our own. There also um, might be some explicit content in this podcast. One of us tends to swear and the other doesn't. We'll let you guys figure out who it is. Okay, so this first episode, we just want to chat about ourselves and give a little intro. 2014, I started getting interested in ABA and accumulated all my hours for the BCABA certificate, and I just never ended up testing for that. Um, I worked with the geriatric population who all had Alzheimer's or dementia. That was pretty exciting. And then from there, I worked with kids in uh, state mandated or like emergency placement settings in a locked facility. That was rather interesting. They didn't use a ton of ABA, but I saw that there was a need and a use for it there. They yeah, were sounds really intense, actually. Yeah, they were a lot heavier on the restraints. <laughs> um, and they weren't that great at using de-escalation techniques. So it frustrated me enough to be like, I'm going to go back to school and finally be a BCBA. And that's kind of how I went back to grad school. Nice. So we actually made that decision around the same time then, because mine was probably around 2015, 2016. I was, I had my bachelor's in psychology and didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was working basically as a case manager with adults with disabilities. And we had a, a couple BCBAs on site and I worked with them and they taught me about what ABA was. And I got really interested in like the data behind it and that we can show on paper the improvements that we're making in people's lives. And uh, one of the behavior analysts there was in grad school at the time and she convinced me to go back to school. And then we started grad school in 2017. 2017. Yeah. I mean, it was a... I think I never sat for my BCABA because I knew my end goal was always to be a BCBA instead. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, why do I want to mess around and take more exams if I don't have to sort of thing? Amen. <laughs> like, um, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a dual degree in rehabilitation services. So it's kind of already going down this path. I was actually accepted into our grad program for 2015. And I decided not to go. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) And then I came back in 2017 and I was like, all right, let's do this now. See, then aren't you glad you waited? Because our cohort was pretty cool. I feel like there was definitely a lot of benefits to waiting to go back to grad school. But at the same time, you and I were the oldest people in our cohort. And I feel like I came with a lot more like adult and worldly experiences that everybody Mm -hmm. else coming in didn't have to necessarily worry about they had a lot less responsibilities to try to manage with just doing their coursework that is true we should probably say we started grad school a little bit older 
So I was 26 whenever we started. I... You're only a month older than me, so I was also 26. <laughs> right. <laughs> but do you feel like, you know, working and, like, living an adult life before going back to grad school, do you feel like that was helpful? I definitely do. I feel like I, first off, had more experience in, like, the job realm. And I knew how, mm-hmm. you know, the ins and outs of working a real job, like, mm-hmm. flow a little bit better, knew what to expect like what to ask for and some weaknesses if I needed extra help. But Mm -hmm. I also think I had discipline because when you're going through school your entire life, everything's set up on a schedule for you Mm -hmm. and you kind of just follow along when you're out in the real world and you're not in um, an academic environment, you have to make your own schedule. So you have to figure out like how to thrive on your own without someone micromanaging your time for you. Yeah, totally agree. I feel like grad school was so different from undergrad because you had that like real world experience and it's so easy to sit in a class and just memorize stuff for the test. And then like it immediately leaves your brain. Whereas I think we had kind of that, we knew what we wanted to do outside of school So we kind of prioritized what we wanted to learn and focus on because we knew it would, what would benefit us out in the real world. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to like, I already knew from my high school experience that the environment I grew up in wasn't really conducive to studying well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can't ever recall a time I had to study in high school to succeed at anything same I don't think I ever took notes in high school Uh, so never had to (laughs) yeah like I remember needing to like wake up early to finish typing like an essay or something but not Mm -hmm. actually doing homework or studying for any period of time Mm -hmm. um so with that in mind I already knew I had to go away to school because Mm -hmm. I couldn't stay at like a home setting and think I would be productive in any capacity Mm -hmm. so I went back out of state to go to school again. Right. So what have you done since graduating? Um, Since graduating, I studied for the boards and passed the exam. Yay! (laughs) We did that in the same month. We did. Back when you had to, they only had to test every like three months or something. Right. (laughs) You had to wait for your results. I actually, like, gave myself a stern negative self-talk in that, like, three-month study period. Mm -hmm. I basically told myself I wouldn't find a job if I didn't pass my exam the first time. (laughs) Oh, gosh, that's harsh. (laughs) Look, it worked. I think it was, like, key to my discipline. That's not always a a benefit. The We can talk about that another day. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But then I got a job working in a clinic. A clinic was my preferred setting. I don't really enjoy driving a ton, Mm -hmm. especially not through the city to find like various clients from the south side to the north side. Mm -hmm. So I wanted a clinic setting where I could just drive there and all the clients come to you and you, you know, get to go home at a regular hour and you essentially think you can leave most of your work at work type thing. Mm-hmm. 
But since then, I worked there for almost like two years and then I left and now I do independent clients that I'm contracted through another school district. And that's pretty fun. Nice. What have you been up to? So, yeah, we took our boards at the same time. We both passed in 2019. I actually got a job at the same place that I was interning for in grad school, the same place that I got all my field work hours. Um, basically, it's like a mobile crisis support group. Uh, it's funded through the state. And we work with primarily adults, but we did have some kid clients um, that live in various settings, could be at home with parents, could be in um, group homes or community integrated living arrangements that just needed a little extra help that needed more than what their current team would could provide for them. So we would provide trainings, we would do some, you know, one-on-one -on -one ABA or behavior therapy, just whatever, whatever that person needed. But I found that that job, it was very intense because you're working with pretty severe cases. Um, obviously, they're in crisis or they wouldn't need our services. So um, it was a great learning experience because I saw a lot of different types of need and a lot of different types of situations and environments. But ultimately, I knew that that was not going to be a long-term solution for me. But it did allow me to network in my area. So I met a lot of behavior analysts and a lot of companies in my area. And eventually one that I really enjoyed working with had an opportunity show up. And so I accepted a job with them um, in January of 2022. And so now I'm an in-house behavior analyst for a company that owns uh, group homes, and I work solely with adults uh, with intellectual disabilities and various comorbid diagnoses um, in group home settings. Nice. And I'm enjoying it a lot more. Yeah, you get to do more of a, a hybrid setting, don't you? You're home some days and then you travel other days. Yeah, it's really nice. So I have um, several houses that I service, and so when I go and see people in person, it can be a lot of driving and it's in, you know, their homes. And sometimes I'll see people at, you know, out in the community. Um, but then a couple of days a week, I, do, I get to work from home too and catch up on all those case notes we get to write. <laughs> right. I love that. Right. I do feel like that's a lot more work-life balance. Um, mm -hmm. With my current job, all of my clients are fully remote unless I determine I need to see them in person. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff I do is more uh, ABA in a family therapy or like family training type setting. Mm -hmm. So I talk with the kids who are like preteen age and mm -hmm. all of their parents. So some days I might meet just with the parents that day. And then the next day I meet with just the kid. Nice. But most of my clients are um, neurodivergent, not necessarily mm -hmm. autism, but they might have like ADHD or bipolar. Mm -hmm. um, but it's been a lot of fun so far. Yeah, I love that. It seems like in the past, 
I don't know, five years or so since we've kind of been in grad school, you and I have worked with a lot of different populations between us. Kids, adults, geriatric, all kinds. Yeah, I did a geriatric in undergrad. Grad school, I worked with teens, again, in like another, um, like a housing situation teen, and they all Mm -hmm. had traumatic brain injury. And then I Mm -hmm. also worked at our grad clinic, kids with small kids Mm -hmm. with autism, and then teens doing ACT. And then you did Mm -hmm. the ACT. You did more ACT. Yeah, we did ACT with like young adults in grad school, 20s. And then post-grad, I did all of my clients were males with autism in high school. Mm -hmm. And now I'm back to like a younger age range with parents. I think between the two of us, probably the only thing we haven't tackled is potty training. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's probably fair. Which is fine with me. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not super in love with the idea of potty training. I get the social significance of it, so I would Mm -hmm. be willing to get my hands dirty, but also totally willing to wait until I have my own kids. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So what are some areas you're interested in learning more about in the field? So I think that our field, the field of behavior analysis in general is very geared towards like kids with autism. Yes. Which much. Yeah. And there's definitely a need for that, but I feel like it's just so useful in so many realms beyond that. Um, you know, like, like I said, I work with adults right now. So a big part of my job really is finding, you know, research and strategies that are typically adapted for kids and then working to adapt them for adults. Cause that's where a lot of the research is. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested in learning more about, you know, maybe adult specific strategies or just ways that ABA can be used outside of a clinic setting, you know, like, training police officers or working with people in the prison system in more unconventional ways to use ABA. Those would be very interesting areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely echo your interest in those areas. I think in addition to that, I'm interested in um, more of the nutritional and fitness arena as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's an area uh, some people in our field are trying to break into. Yeah. And then me doing my own research, trying to break into that uh, Mm -hmm. range, it's still proving kind of challenging in a way to like open up. It's not like there's a fitness clinic, like a gym setting that, you know, all these BCBAs are there to help you do your fitness. Right. And of course, that realm also, you need to have some additional qualifications to work in that arena. But mm-hmm. I think it's def- definitely an area our field could see a lot of growth in. Oh, I think so. You know, I think in general, our field is still pretty new. So mm-hmm. the general public just doesn't really know what it is. You know, my parents still don't understand what I do <laughs> kind of no. a thing. Yeah, I don't even bother trying to explain to them anymore. No, <laughs> like, not at all. 
typically if I explain what our job is and how we, you know, manipulate the environment to get a desired result, I end up using like the traffic cone example. Mm-hmm. Our town is notorious for having roundabouts. And that means that comes with a lot of traffic. Well, when you have two lanes, they use the cones to merge you to one lane. Mm-hmm. But they're using that stimuli in the environment to get the result they want, which is you to, to merge. So I try to explain it like that. And people are like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, seems to be the most relatable way to kind of explain how you manipulate the environment. Yeah, that's a good example. Um, what are some of your favorite behaviors you've worked with so far? Oh, I, you know, I really, really enjoyed running those act groups that we did in grad school. Um, So that was with, I think it was all guys. I don't think we had any women in that group. Um, So it was all like uh, young guys, like early twenties with autism And I just really enjoyed running those ACT groups. Um, We talked about all kinds of real world topics. I think that's my favorite thing about ABA. I don't love clinics and I don't love super technical work because it's really hard to see the like social validity aspect sometimes. Mm -hmm. And like the generalization. Yes. But when you can apply it to real world scenarios, you know, building relationships, dating, hygiene, you know, these things that everybody deals with every single day, I really enjoyed working with that aspect of it. Yeah. What about you? That's probably the most relatable way. (laughs) Right. Um, I love that. I wish I had more hands-on act experience in grad school from what I did contrary mm-hmm. to how my how I wrote my thesis about ACT. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I search a lot now for becoming more competent and having more ACT within my scope of practice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it definitely still feels very like, oh, in your feelings, like, is this right type of thing? Yeah. <laughs> um, but we both know I also don't identify as being a very emotional human so <laughs> that's a fair point <laughs> I'm like is this how everybody else feels all the time <laughs> am I getting a little emotional so I mean that's something I can work on as a clinician mm-hmm. um nope. but that's so you- true I I have this con I have this conversation with my clients all the time you know naming and talking about your emotions is a skill it's a mm-hmm. skill you have to practice and it's a difficult skill because only you know what you're feeling. You know? Right. And it's I think a, a lot of event. that like boils down to, to like how effective you are at communication. Mm-hmm. So I have one client who swears a lot and his parents get pretty frustrated. Mm-hmm. They feel like it's not appropriate. And I had to tell them like, I don't care if your kid's swearing at the end of the day, I'm thinking like, wow, he's really trying to communicate with me and this is how he knows how. Right. So whatever gets your point across, I'm cool with. Functional communication training at an adult level. Right. Even if you're not an adult, everybody can swear. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my like favorite behaviors I've always loved working with, or not, maybe not a behavior necessarily, but um, a diagnosis. I love working with kids who have ODD. <laughs> okay. Um, it's always just something that I feel a lot of people find challenging and I challenging in like a bad frustrating way for them. And Ooh, for if me, someone's not like, familiar with ODD, what does that stand for? Operational defiant disorder. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it kind of presents as like kids just not doing stuff just cause, or like maybe they're escaping constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, I also find that sometimes the kids or adults maybe uh, don't like to engage in whatever you're trying to have them work with you on if it's kind of not their idea or yeah. not their preferred. And then it it just leads to a lot of challenging behaviors. But mm-hmm. that's something for me that I think is really fun because you get to work around and be like extra creative to find ways to get them to engage. Mm-hmm. without it escalating even further. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting one because I think as adults, it's diagnosed as intermittent explosive disorder or IED, and, but it looks very similar and it can also look like blowing up over the smallest things, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I've worked with some people like that too and you definitely have to be creative, <laughs> Yeah, I find the best uh, way to approach that is just always going in and having solid rapport from the beginning. That goes for any client, but absolutely, (laughs) especially with people who struggle with ODD. Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, just in general, I think it's, you know, it's ridiculous to expect somebody to open up and trust you just because you're a behavior analyst or a therapist or a doctor or anything, right? Absolutely. I need to spend time with you and get to know you as a person before I tell you about my history of trauma. Mm -hmm. With that, I also always ask if, if my clients want to hang out with me that day before I even start a session with them, if they say no, or they want to hang up or leave early or whatever, that's fine. Mm -hmm. If you're not feeling it anymore, we can come back to it later. I love that. I feel like I'm seeing that more in our field, like talked about at conferences and whatnot, this idea of consent and assent Mm -hmm. for sessions and therapy. And I just love that. I think that's so important. And that's, I mean, one of the best ways to build rapport, I think. Right. I agree. Whenever I work with RBTs, I always ask them to, like, if if your typical RBT is leaving to run to the restroom or something or this could Mm -hmm. be house staff you know like oh will you hang out with so-and-so that person stepping in to cover you needs to ask if they can hang out for a minute or two right until the usual person gets back Mm -hmm. because I've had clients who get really aggressive really hard to manage and just like rather large clients Mm -hmm. who if you're the only one cornered in the room and they don't want to hang out with you they're not hanging out with you right like you need to know the distance to have and if they're not going to be a good match to cover then you need to wait and find somebody else yeah and especially if you're working with more severe behaviors like in and in that context it sounded like the behaviors could be pretty severe it's not worth anybody's safety to put somebody in that situation right mariah why did you want to start this podcast 
Um, I wanted to start this podcast because I've always kind of tossed around having the idea of a podcast. Mm-hmm. And I feel like 2023 is the year. 2023 year of the podcast. Yeah. The year of the podcast. <laughs> but <laughs> I also feel like um, you and I are always paired well together. Maybe we mm-hmm. should give a little background of how we really started to meet and mingle. They already know we went to grad school together <laughs> and have a similar yeah. background. Well, I mean, let's see. We went to grad school together, but it wasn't really until our second year that we yeah. hung out more. Well, it was the conference in San Diego, I think. Right. I always saw Danny in class, but she is pretty quiet if you don't know her. That is true. <laughs> so, I'm what they call an introvert. Oh, I'm definitely an introvert too, but I feel like I ride that borderline of like extroverted introvert see I would never label you as an introvert (laughs) seriously seriously (laughs) I think that's so funny because when introverts meet other introverts you tend to forget that that person's an introvert because you know them right maybe that's it (laughs) until they're in like a new environment and you see them start to shut down a little bit more and you're yeah. like, oh, I forgot they're really introverted. They're only mm-hmm. like that because I know them. <laughs> but yeah, you're definitely introverted. I'm mm-hmm. introverted because I kind of just don't like people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's a me issue. And we went to the conference in San Diego, the ABAI in Uh San Diego in 2018 yes where I ran into my mentor from undergrad um and I said I really wanted to go to the San Diego Zoo and he he hugged me and looked at me and said if you want to go to the zoo you need to leave the conference now and go (laughs) so then I was like okay who am I gonna go to the zoo with (laughs) And Danny was like, I'm going to go. Yeah, like nobody else wanted to go. And that is, at that point in my life, that was the farthest away from home I had ever traveled. And it's San Diego. What is San Diego known for? But the, the San zoo. Diego Zoo. Right. <laughs> of course I was going to go. I mean, I would definitely would have left and gone to the zoo alone. But I'm also going to, you know, send feelers out and invite people if they want to go first. So Mm -hmm. this was the first time you and I really hung out, and Mm -hmm. I think it was pretty spectacular. Not to be, like, dramatic, but... I think it was pretty fun. We honestly had no background of hanging out. We had never been paired up in groups for any school activity to that Mm -hmm. point, so we were already a year into grad Mm -hmm. school, and we went to the zoo together. I think I navigated our way there on public transit. And then we made a game plan at the zoo and we were like, this is what we're going to do. And we'll double back around if we want to see something more specific. And we literally just meandered and did what we wanted. And we had no disagreements with any of our scheduling. And then we went and got pizza Mm -hmm. afterwards. (laughs) And that was some of the best pizza I've ever had. (laughs) Right. Which I think we were just saying we had that same pizza when we went to 
um, New Orleans this last year for like our fifth annual bat reunion. Yeah. So like since that San Diego trip, you and I have made a trip every single year. Yep. We do try to invite the other cohort members, but life kind of just gets in the way and you and I are always like the go-to. Right. So when you came to me with this idea of a podcast, like it, it did make sense. Mm-hmm. Cause we've kind of kept these conversations going since grad school, I think. And that is one benefit. I feel like other people who don't necessarily get the opportunity to go to grad school in person really miss out on the opportunity of having a cohort mm-hmm. like ours. And I feel like our grad experience was very unique because we have that tight knit group. Our, mm-hmm. our class size was so small. There was only eight of us. And all of us are literally family. I feel like I lived Mm -hmm. with you guys for almost three years. (laughs) Like we would be at group members house starting at 11 PM doing training a fish until 2 AM. And then you're back in class at eight. Like it was an insane time. Right. Studying at the library until it literally closed. Yeah. Trying to like print stuff out for assignments. Nobody knew it was happening. Right. wild stuff yeah so if thinking about grad school if you can go in person please do go in person with a place that gives you a graduate assistantship yes 100 percent. get that right that was a big uh determining factor on where i went and why i stayed at the school that we went yeah me too if it wasn't for that assistantship i probably would have done an an online program Oh, I still wouldn't have because my study ethic would have been out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Coming home to live with my partner after grad school, studying Mm -hmm. here was like the hugest challenge I ever had to endure because it was just like, oh, I'm by the person I really like to be around. Like I could do all this stuff with them or I could study obviously being with my partner is way more reinforcing than studying. Right. So I had to do some kind of mind tricks to get myself to study. Somehow (laughs) I did it. I actually made note cards and then I had them quiz me whenever we went out to eat until Mm -hmm. our food arrived. They would have to give me note cards. (laughs) Oh, I mean, you're pretty extra, but I do feel like I was looking at behavior terms 24 hours a day until I took that test yes I definitely was if I couldn't explain it to you in like layman's terms and you knew what the idea was then Mm -hmm. I didn't know the concept enough right so then I just kept studying I would do the same thing with my partner I taught him about all kinds of jargon and terminology and bless his heart, he sat and listened to me. Right. And he could tell you what an extinction burst was and what a stimulus was and all that stuff. But it helps to explain it to other people when you're studying. Well, now my partner will tell me that I'm reinforcing negative behavior that my cats do. <laughs> Is he sometimes, wrong? Uh, no. Right. But <laughs> sometimes I wish he wouldn't use that against me (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Um, do you want to add anything else before we start to close it out with our bits and bobs? Oh, I think we should explain what a bits and bobs is. Okay, Danny and I have decided to do a bits and bobs segment of each podcast, which will just be a quick little snippet of a recommendation of an item, maybe a service, something we're currently enjoying in our life, just as a general recommendation. What's your first bits and bobs? for us um my first bits and bobs is going to be these plant magnets that danny really likes that i have (laughs) i really want to buy some for myself they're very cute i got them from plantgoodvibes.com and they are basically like um i really equate them to being a needle minder But for Mm -hmm. those of you listening who are also unsure of what a needle minder is, it's a magnet that holds your needle while you're stitching. But instead, you can put this magnet on your plant. And the backside of the magnet has a weak magnet and a strong magnet. So you can adjust the magnet strength to what type of leaf your plant has. So you don't like rip holes in your plant leaves. But it's just a little bit of flair. It's really fun. (laughs) They're very cute. They come in all different kinds of, like, designs. Yep. Peaches. Squiggly eyes. Full glasses crack me up. Yeah. They have, like, Andy Warhol glasses. (laughs) Pretty cute. So my little bits and bobs is those squishy like sensory toys specifically if anybody has a five below store near them that's where I get a lot of my sensory toys for myself (laughs) and for my clients um but I'm talking for myself right now just those kind of squishy ones if you need something to keep your hands busy if you get nervous on like phone calls when we as adults have to make our own doctor's appointments and whatnot um I almost always have one in my hand. I've been squishing one this entire time that we've been recording. But if so, if you find that you just kind of need to keep your hands busy or you get a little nervous when you're on the phone or doing things like that, buy yourself a little squishy sensory toy. Doesn't have to be expensive. I it can be really helpful. My partner has a squishy on his desk. And it's mm-hmm. a strawberry, and I try to steal it all the time because it's so stinking cute. <laughs> I've got a set of three sushi rolls right now. Nice. And I'll squish them till they can't squish anymore. I, yeah, I'll squish them till my nails pop them. Yeah, if I've got long nails on, I'll scratch into them sometimes on accident. Whoops. At least they're inexpensive, and you can always just get a quick replacement. And truly, like, that's the point is, like, buy something that works but isn't too expensive, especially if you're thinking for your clients, because it's inevitable that they're going to get torn up. Right. It's just how it works. I don't think anybody tries to buy for client longevity. And if you do, let us know, because I'd be interested to hear what your feedback is on that item. Right. (laughs) 
Um, all right. Until next time. Okay. Um, I guess it's also, we should probably mention, right now we'll be releasing a new podcast every other week on Thursday, starting January Mm -hmm. 5th. What are we going to talk about next time? Um, I think we're going to talk about our New Year's goals and how we're going to approach them in a behavioral light. I love that. Let's set some goals for 2023. Well, this podcast is one of them, so mark it off. Oh, all right. <laughs> check mark that, done. Yeah, we'll check mark it on January 5th. <laughs> <laughs> right, when this podcast releases. Right. All right, see ya. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.